0: Tonight the scripture reading is Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 46. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heaven's glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a, sep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, When do we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you in sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you also did for me. Then he will go to those on his left. Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did nothing to help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The word of the Lord.
1: So this is an interesting week to come to church, talking about hell, Uh, and I think God brought each and every one of you here today for a reason. He has something for you to learn about hell. Uh, It's a serious topic, and uh, it's not necessarily a fun one to talk about, but I hope that you will open up your heart, open up your mind, and see what the Lord has to teach you about this, and you can anticipate, like, the joy of coming back next week (laughs) and hearing about heaven, but for this week, we're going to hear about hell. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I need your help. I need your help. These people need your help. The Bible says that without your Holy Spirit, we are deaf. We cannot hear. We cannot see. And so we need you to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to help us grasp an eternal reality that is, frankly, too awful for our minds to grasp. It's in Jesus' name that I make all these requests. Amen. So what happens when you die? What happens when you die? In 2005, a group of theologians really answered this question. Now, they were a self-titled, uh, Modest Mouse Uh, And they wrote an album called Good News for People Who Love Bad News. And in their hit single, they said some things about what happens after this life. And we'll all float on okay. And we'll all float on all right. Already, we'll all float on. Now, don't you worry. We'll all float on all right. Already, we'll all float on all right. Don't worry. We'll all float on. Now, I understand their message to be something like this. Uh, It doesn't really matter at the end of the day what has happened in life or the decisions you've made or what you've believed, because at the end of the day, we'll all float on. That's a pretty uh, attractive message. Maybe it's the message that you came here tonight believing. Now, a different group of theologians, self-titled cake sang a song with these lyrics. Sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. Sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. So who is right in this battle of the bands? Will we all float on all right already? Or do the sheep go to heaven and the goats go to hell? Now, frankly, answering what happens when you die and whether heaven is real and hell is real, like I can't think of a a more important question, right? Because if it is not real, let's say there's no hell, then what are we doing? (laughs) Why are we here tonight? For like community building, great, but what we're doing has absolutely no eternal value. Now, What if heaven is real? What if hell is real? We need to know that because we don't want to go there. Everyone in this room needs to have dealt with this question. In fact, everyone in the world needs to deal with this question. Because, you know, we live 70, 80, 90 years, great. But the space after that, if the Bible is true, is a lot longer So I want to start by trying to answer this question in a very clear way. What happens when we die? And so I want to start at the moment of death. We're going to look first at what happens to a Christian when they die, and then a non-Christian. And we're going to go through the process, and I'm going to try to map it out for you in the slide. So I hope that you'll stick with me and focus. So first, when Christians die, they go to be with Jesus in heaven. Now, this probably doesn't surprise you, but maybe you're wondering, well, what do you mean by a Christian? Do you mean like everyone that kind of labels themselves a a, a Christian, and that's kind of saying, oh, man, to all the other religions, you're out of luck? What are you saying when you mean a Christian? So I've created a definition of what a Christian is uh, based a little bit on our articles of faith, on on Scripture, and this is not a a perfect definition, but I want to give it to you. A Christian is anyone who repents of their sin, puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, and bears fruit as they follow after him, all through the work of the Holy Spirit. So this tries to kind of encapsulate the basics, repentance of sin, personal acknowledgement of sin, and then putting our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus, confessing and receiving his forgiveness And then kind of giving evidence, showing signs that you have indeed been saved through fruit. Jesus teaches a lot on the fruit. And we see that actually in today's passage. A fruit of being saved, right, is going to be caring for the sick, the poor, and the needy. Especially Christian brothers and sisters that our passage talked about. And it's all through the work of the Holy Spirit. The the Ephesians passage that uh, Andy had us read, I actually wrote it in my notes, but I wasn't going to read it. It was like a special bonus feature for those that look on the website. But that's in here too, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who does this, who brings about salvation. Now, this definition doesn't fit all people, right? Uh, Whether... Clarification on this is that this definition looks different. It is fulfilled differently for a child or someone with special needs than it is for an adult. Like the Holy Spirit and Christ judges the heart what level of repentance and faith someone needs to receive salvation. I believe that salvation is a gift, it's a gift from God, it's an act of grace. So, I don't measure people's heart. That's up to God. But this is kind of at a basic level what we expect of someone who claims to be a Christian. Now, what happens when a Christian dies? Well, I want us to look at this first aspect. When a Christian dies, they go to be with Jesus in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So here on the screen we have an illustration of dying and going to be with Christ. You're now in that resurrected, you're not in the resurrected state, but you're in, you're in glory, so you're perfect anymore, you're, you're now perfect, you don't have sin, right? A dead Christian is a perfect Christian. That's what we see on the screen here, because you're with Jesus, now, we are taken to be with God in a place called heaven. Most of you probably would use that term. But we actually see another word called paradise in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus says to the man on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. The other criminal. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We see the apostle Paul, he writes to the church at Corinth. and he, There's like this parallel. He, first he calls uh, heaven heaven, and then he calls heaven. Paradise. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. So, next time someone asks you where you think you're going to go when you die, say paradise, and then explain that that's heaven. Now, as a Christian, if you are driving home today and something horrible happens, you get in a car wreck or you drive your car into a massive sinkhole and you die, I think you should be encouraged because, yeah, it might physically hurt, but you'll be okay. Like, you'll be safe. Yeah, your, your spirit, your soul will leave your body, but your, your, your soul is going to be with Christ. Christ. Like, you'll be with Jesus. Just by show of hands, does anyone in here ever get nervous about death? Okay, so this applies to some of you. (laughs) I get nervous about death. I get full of fear. And when those moments come, think about, at the moment of death, don't think about pain. Think about Christ. Think about being with Jesus in paradise, in a place that is unimaginably good. Now, I wish this sermon was just about that, but it's not. Because if there is a heaven, it implies that there is also a hell. And we see this also in the scripture mapped out for us clearly. So what happens when people who don't believe and repent and trust in Christ, what happens to them when they die? Well, when non-Christians die, they are locked away in Hades. Now, I bet some of you were expecting me to say, when non-Christians die, when non-believers die, they go to hell, (laughs) right? That's kind of the the story that we're, in general, told. But as I was studying the scriptures, I learned that there's a difference between hell and Hades. The Greek word for hell is genna or Gehenna. And it's the place non-Christians go after the final Judgment. All right. So we're going to get more to the final judgment in a little bit. But Gehenna, uh, there's this there's backstory in the Old Testament. It was this valley south of Jerusalem where uh, really evil things took place. Moloch worship took place, and kind of the pagan idolatry of the day seeped into the nation of Israel. And they began to worship this false god by sacrificing animals, by sacrificing people they would sacrifice their enemies they even sacrificed their own children their own babies it was a brutal place and so in this valley they began to light fires to get rid of the bodies she didn't want disease and flies so these constant fires over the course of the old testament and the intertestamental period they became uh, kind of a, a symbolic of what is hell Oh, that's hell. That's the worst place I can imagine, Gehenna. And so we're going to get to that a little bit more later. But there's another word. There's the Greek word Hades. And this this word is used in the New Testament to describe where the wicked go when they die before the final judgment. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, they go through life, and they each die. And Lazarus goes to be at Abraham's side. The Bible calls it Abraham's bosom in some translations. Goes to heaven, to paradise. And Lazarus goes to Hades. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham, so this is the rich man, in Hades where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now Hades doesn't really sound much better than hell, does it, right? It's still a place of torment, of punishment, of agony, of fire. It's not a place that you want to go. But when we visualize Hades, really what we should visualize is kind of like a waiting cell, a waiting cell, a prison cell. Hades is conceived of an under, as an underground prison with locked gates to which Christ Jesus holds the key. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. These are both Jesus' words. Jesus gave these words. (laughs) There's a reason, I think, that prisons are called hellish places. I think it's because it's based on a real hellish place, Hades. Now, when you think of Jesus and when our culture thinks of Jesus, we tend to think of like a really lovable guy, kind of in our video. Like he seemed like a guy you'd want to hang out with, right? He seemed uh, pretty lovable. Maybe he's a hippie, has dreadlocks. He, He wears an overabundance of knitwear. I know some of you don't believe that's a thing. If you've ever watched the, uh, the, the, the play Godspell, that's kind of who Jesus is, right? You're sad at the end because he's such a great guy. You don't want him to die. In the Christianized version, like Jesus rises from the grave. But in the secular version of Godspell, Jesus does not rise from the grave. But who is Jesus? He's just like this wonderful guy. Do you realize that the scriptures say that Jesus is also not just a king? He is not just a judge. He is a prison warden. Jesus holds the keys of Hades. That means he has authority over every single person sent there. And Jesus does not let anyone out. Once you go there, that is final. And that breaks my heart. Jesus is also good and he is trustworthy. If you're not a true Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus... I want you to be afraid tonight. I want you to be scared. Because Jesus in the scriptures was fine with scaring people with hell. I don't want you to spend even a moment in this prison cell. If you believe yourself to be a Christian, this is a great opportunity to examine your own heart say, am I repenting of my sin? Am I trusting after Jesus? Am I bearing fruit in my own life? And as we see those things, and you can talk to brothers and sisters in Christ, you can be just encouraged that you won't go to Hades. This is not a place meant for you. If you are in Christ, you will never go here. So we see that when Christians die, they go to be in heaven with Jesus. And when non Christians die, they go to Hades. And they're locked away. We call this time period the intermediate state. In the intermediate state, we await the resurrection. All right? So everyone that has gone before us, who's died, they're either in heaven or they're in Hades. This is called the kind of the, the in between time, the intermediate state, where you're either waiting above spiritually or below spiritually. Now, this is not the perfect place. Our our video from the the Bible Project illustrated that well. This is not the perfect place. See, we need something more than this. We need our bodies. Like, in spirit, you go, right, to be with Jesus. Or in spirit, you go to Hades. Hades but you actually need your body. God, God didn't just create you as like this soul and kind of cover you with a body that you can kind of get rid of at the end of days because the body isn't good. No, God created you with a soul and a body. And so we need to be returned to our body. And that will happen at the resurrection. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-two. See, uh, a horn will blast. This is, this, is like the, this is the final note. At the end of a book, this is the last period of kind of the story in this life. And at the end, will be worldwide. There'll be this, this trumpet blast, and everyone will hear it. Everyone all around the globe, everyone that has died beforehand, everyone will hear it, and everyone will be resurrected to their bodies, whether good or bad. And in this moment, we will face the final judgment. When Christ returns, you will face the final judgment. That's a pretty kind of stiff challenge, isn't it? When Christ returns, when that worldwide trumpet blast sounds, you, each one of us, each one of us downstairs, each one of us that have ever been in this room ever, will face the final judgment. See, Christ will go from being a prison warden and a king, I mean, he's always a king, but he will transition from being a prison warden to a judge, to the judge of the supreme court, the court of all courts. And the Bible calls this the judgment of Christ, or the final judgment, or the, the great white throne judgment. Judgment. Now, different Christians throughout Christianity have kind of understood how the end will take place differently. And I'm just focusing on the basics of what I believe the Scriptures to teach. But our our articles of faith allow for a variety of positions on this. But as I read the Scriptures, I see one great judgment. And this gets back to our passage in Matthew that we read at the beginning, where Jesus separates the sheep, the Christians, from the goats, the non-Christians. And this is how that passage starts. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's the trumpet blast, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And in our text in Matthew, Jesus separates the the sheep from the goats. He highlights how they have treated The least of these. Focusing on the brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus, so other Christians. Have you treated my people well? Or have you not? Now, it is quick. It it, it is, the first thing we want to do is say, you know, we are saved by grace. And that is amen, hallelujah, absolutely true. But there's a reason Jesus put a passage on hell next to a passage on caring for the poor and needy. It's because he's serious about it. See, God is serious about fruit in our lives. God is serious about us not only trusting, but also obeying. In one of Timothy Keller's sermons, he points out that the sheep and the goats, when they're separated, they're both surprised. (laughs) So the, the sheep... They're like, we, didn't, we don't remember when we cared for you, Jesus. And the goats are like, we, when did we not care for you? See, both are surprised. I think there's a couple reasons for this. First, we're supposed to obey. We're supposed to take God's commands seriously. But then when we do obey and then when we do tr- truly, genuinely, authentically honor God with the things we're doing... Think it'll come as a surprise, right? We're going to be surprised by grace. We will have honored Christ Jesus in ways that we didn't even imagine were possible. This passage is both a strong reminder for us to obey Jesus' commands and a sweet reminder that in the end, we will be surprised by Grace. So what does Jesus do? What happens? Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. First, Jesus will reward true Christians, his sheep, with eternal life. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed for my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. God has been preparing this wonderful, wonderful place for any who trust in Christ Jesus. Jesus. It's going to be amazing. Terry pointed out to me that this really is God. He's, he's preparing a special place for his followers. Now, notice the next passage what, what Christ says to the goats. Then he will say to those on his left Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice it doesn't say it's prepared for you then you will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we read in Revelation, we see that the Hades, hell, is truly a a place that's prepared for the devil. It's prepared for his angels. God doesn't desire that anyone goes to hell. But that doesn't mean that he won't send those that reject him there. Now, if you're a Christian and you die tonight and the trumpet sounds, I don't think you will be standing before God and wondering, am I a sheep or am I a goat? See, you will have spent the intermediate time, the, the intermediate state with Christ. I think there will be, uh, you will know where you stand. But there's still a Judgment. There's still a time where God acknowledges who are his sheep, who belong to him, and even rewards them. But what if you're not a true Christian? What if you're a goat? If you don't know Christ, you'll be condemned to hell. It wasn't fun writing that. (laughs) I don't take any joy in preaching this. But this is what the Bible says. This is what the scriptures say. Revelation chapter 20 depicts another judgment from a different angle. So our, G, our Matthew passage talks about kind of your fruit, right? Your good works, caring for the poor and needy. That's a, that's a, that's a must. That's not a if I want to. In Revelation chapter 20, uh, the, 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 kind of the sheep and the goats are separated based on if their names are written in the book of life. And elsewhere in Revelation, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, it's Jesus' book. If your name is written in Jesus' book, if your name is written in Jesus, you get to spend eternity with him. But those that do not get to spend eternity with Jesus, their lives are, are judged based on their works, on their good deeds, Whether they, <laughs> what, what they did in this life. And the bad news is that none of us, not me, not you, none of us can do enough good works to earn our way into heaven. See, God doesn't put like this scale up where he says, okay, if you had enough good deeds, your good deeds outweighed your bad deeds, all right, we're going to let you in. No, because any sin we do, no matter how small, whether in thought or word, or in our hearts, or even those things that we left undone, those good deeds that we know we should have done, those are all sin. And we, we, we believe in a, a pure and holy God, and sin can't be in his presence. Sin can't dwell with him in eternal life. So non Christians are judged by their own deeds, and everyone falls short, and they are sentenced to Gehenna, to hell which is other places called the lake of fire. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That waiting cell, it's going into the lake. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, for the rest of this sermon, we're going to be focusing on hell. This, we're talking about what we believe this week, and we're talking about hell. Next week, we're talking about heaven. So I want to explain a little bit about, more about hell. And one of the books that I read uh, this week was Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Today's sermon is not going to answer all your questions about hell. I encourage you to pick up a copy of this book and read it. It's really good, and it's a, it's a quick read. But I want to give you three main takeaways about hell about this final state of punishment for those that reject Jesus. The first one is hell is more horrible than you can imagine. Maybe some of you think that hell is not really a place. Hell is just kind of the consequences you have in this life for doing bad things. Like like I smoked, now I have lung cancer, man, this is hell. (laughs) That's not true. The Bible gives us a much different picture of what hell is. In fact, the Bible doesn't even fully describe it. It gives us symbolism. It gives us metaphors of what hell is. Even though it it uses symbols, it doesn't mean that hell is symbolic. Hell is a real place. And famous, famous uh, theologians through time and Christians, John Calvin, Martin Luther, maybe some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis or Billy Graham, J.I. Packer, D.A. Carson, they would all agree that hell isn't necessarily a place where there is literal fire. <laughs> See, those words are used because they're like the worst things we can think of in this life. See, these words, uh, these words, hell, fire, darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, These these words are trying to get at something that's even worse than those things. Our vocabulary is inadequate to describe hell. Remember Jesus? Yeah, he's a prison warden, right? And Jesus himself, he believed in hell. (laughs) It's not just everyone else that taught about hell. Jesus taught about hell, and he taught about hell all the time. He called it a fiery furnace. He called it outer darkness. He said, in hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Do you know what fire expresses? Immense pain. Blackest darkness, complete isolation. Isolation from your relationship with God, isolation from your your relationship with others. Remember we talked about what it means to be a human, to be made in the image of God, to, to be truly human is to have a relationship with God and a relationship with others. That's being removed. That's been destroyed. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that expresses? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't want to go there. You don't want your soul. You don't want your body. You don't want to go there. The New Testament also speaks of the final judgment as something even worse than these things, as the outpouring of God's condemnation or wrath. Whoever believes the Son In the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's condemnation is poured out on anyone who rejects Christ Jesus, the Son of God. (sighs) Jonathan Edwards writes, maybe some of you read his uh, most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in high school or in college. He describes God's wrath, his anger toward sin. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider, some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He has a purer eyes than to bear than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. This is how God views us apart from Jesus. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ you're now a child of God but in our sin apart from Christ we are abhorrent and wrath will descend on us God's judgment and it'll be true it'll be fair God the bible talks about God being pure God, in other words God's God's judgment will be absolutely perfect <laughs> You will get exactly what you deserve. There's a way out through Christ Jesus. See, if you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, Jesus takes God's wrath upon himself. Jesus gets what you deserve. Jesus Jesus has taken the punishment for what I deserve. That condemnation is upon him. Jesus took something that is more horrible than I can ever imagine. What else about hell? Well, hell is final, it is punitive, it's not corrective. In other words, hell is intended to be a punishment, it's a punishment that punishes. It's not like when you correct your kids. You're trying to correct them and you want them to live a better life. That is not hell. There is no coming back from hell. There is no redemption from hell. There are no second chances. We see this in Hebrews. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Maybe some of you come from a Catholic background and you believe in purgatory, this place of refinement. The Bible doesn't talk about that. That comes from church tradition. Hell is not purgatory. Maybe some of you come from a universalist tradition where in the end everyone gets to go to be with Jesus in heaven. Man, I wish that were true. But that's not what the Bible says. And finally, this comes from Francis Chan's book. Hell is a place of annihilation or never-ending punishment. Now, this is a quote. There are historically three positions on hell. Universalism, essentially no one ends up there. Annihilationism, the people who go there are destroyed once God's justice is satisfied. And three, eternal conscious torment. That means hell goes on for billions of years, and you experience that for all of eternity. Now, the torment forever and ever, eternal conscious torment, is the historic Christian position it's been held through church history uh, since the beginning but the second position annihilationism it's been held by the likes of John John Stott, Clark Pinnock and Edward Fudge so I really wrestled with this third point here's the deal I as your pastor do not know everything (laughs) that doesn't surprise my wife I don't know everything. And I've held to the eternal conscious torment, and I've used annihilationism as kind of like this heresy. But I've recently been challenged to read the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. There's actually more biblical evidence for annihilationism than I thought. <laughs> the Bible talks awfully, an awful lot about destruction. Now, maybe in some of you, your hearts are thinking, great, someone goes to hell, and eventually they're destroyed. I can believe in that. That is the absolutely wrong reason to believe in annihilationism. Read the Bible. Study the scriptures. Read some good books or read Erasing the Hell and, like, go through the scriptures. Francis Chan is an eternal conscious torment guy. But he also recognizes that you can be a Christian and hold to this other position as long as you're holding it based on scripture. And I believe our articles of faith allow for either of those two positions but not universalism. If you want to wrestle with this topic with me, come talk to me. I'd love to wrestle through it with you. Now, the point of this sermon and the point of this last point is not how long does hell last, right? If that's all that you walk out of here with, then you have missed the entire point of this message. The point is that at the final judgment, if you don't know Jesus, you will be condemned. And it will be terrible. And I don't wish that upon any of you. But there's good news. All of you are alive, as far as I can tell. There's still time. If you don't know Jesus, repent. Confess your sins to Jesus and say, I trust you. I trust you with my eternity. Take my place under God's wrath, because I can't stand there. You know what Jesus says? Praise God. <laughs> it says, the, the, the angels Rejoice. And the good news is, you get to spend eternity with Jesus. Christians will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth with God. And I want to tell you more about that, but you have to come back next Saturday. And we'll go through this. So please come back. If this is your first time here, this was quite the the week. Come back. Let me pray. I pray for each of the names that are on the hearts of the people in this room, the people that they're thinking about, their coworkers, their neighbors, their friends. Would you save each and every one of them? Would you do something amazing? Because we know that every person that, that puts their faith in Christ, it's a complete miracle. Would you show miracles in each one of these lives? God, I pray for those people in this room that don't know you as their Lord and there's their Savior, that don't know Christ that way. Would you save them? Would you soften their hearts? I know this is a hard sermon. But would something resonate? Would there be truth in this message? It's in Jesus' name I make all of these requests. Amen.